we are in San Francisco. We're not taking you to some, you know, little test facility in a desert to show you that this we car can drive We are on the road. We are, we on are the road. in one of the most vibrant cities on the planet. That's where we are in the journey. We're fully autonomous where we need to be. Self-driving is here. I think if I was a human driving there, like, I don't know what would have happened. Yeah, you were asking me, does it get boring for you after working? No, okay, I, I love, love seeing your excitement. And we are not the only ones who have noticed. That kid just noticing that we don't have a driver. <laughs> look at that. I love seeing so many people when yeah. they look inside. Look at that. Just like, what's going on? Today, I got to ride fully autonomously with Waymo's chief product officer, Saswat Panigrahi, who's actually been on this journey since 2016. We discuss so much, including the five levels of autonomy. Fully autonomous, uh, as you can see, nobody in the front seat, no mm -hmm. expectation of a human to take over. The infamous LiDAR versus video debate. Saying you love LiDARs and hate cameras or vice versa is saying you love one wavelength versus the other wavelength, right? It, it's not a fundamental thing. Regulation, user experience, the role of AI in all this, but especially the question, if autonomy is truly here, Now what? As a reminder, the content here is for informational purposes only. It should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. All right, so before we jump in, if you are hearing this, you are listening to our RSS feed, which is great. We love that you're here. But for this episode, this episode is such a special one. I would really recommend you go watch on our YouTube channel. I honestly feel so lucky that I got to ride around in this self-driving car for an hour. And we have so much good footage. We literally saw the full gamut of possibilities. We saw someone running a red light. We saw a group of bicyclists, literally like 20 or 30 bicyclists. We saw a construction zone. We even saw a two-year-old kid who saw that there was no driver in the front seat and you could just see the confusion on this kid's face. So really it was an incredible ride. And if you watch on YouTube, you can see all the footage from inside the car, outside the car and from the car itself. You can literally see how the software is interpreting the world around it and transforming that into this representation, this simulation on screen. It's honestly so cool. I actually just hit my one year as the A16C podcast host and this by far was my highlight. This is so cool. I hope you all get to experience this one day. And again, if you want to go see what I'm talking about and not just hear about it, go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at, that's the at sign, A16Z, or just search A16Z on YouTube. Really, this is the one episode. If you're going to go on over to our YouTube channel, this is it. All right, we will see you on the road. Wow. Very clean. So what do I do? Do I just... Oh yeah, the KB up there. Nice. Oh, I like don't even know how to interact with it. All right, we just jump in. Hey there, Catherine. Thank you. This is cool. <laughs> We just yeah. click start? Yeah, do you want to? Go ahead. Oh, wow. Ashbury. Please make sure your This is wild. Awesome. 
Happy Friday. <laughs> this is cool. So you can play music. Yeah. You can and you can just ask it to pull over if you want. Yeah, anytime. At any time. Uh, and you can call support. And there was an audio cue to remind you in case folks get in and they, you know, into a minute think like, hmm, this is. A, yeah, I want to like, speak to somebody. <laughs> but it turned out actually that wasn't. You really. Know, folks just got eased into it pretty quick. And somehow the smoothness with which it drives yeah. builds an instant trust. Totally. So. I mean, so I get car sick pretty easily, but to your point, like it doesn't feel jerky at all. Right. It feels really smooth. But I mean, I'm so curious because you've been working in this space for so long. Does knowing kind of like how the sausage is made, does that make it any less magical? Like when you got into this car for the first time and there was no driver sitting there? Yeah. Were you also like, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? Oh, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally like a kid on this one. So 2017 was probably the first time there was a person in the front mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. but we didn't have actual controls. So that was my first. Yeah. And 2019 was the first time I was in a car with truly nobody on a public street, just driving around. Yeah. And every single time, even if of course the year before, the month before, the day before, and the hour before, I was in anticipation and preparing for it. Yeah. Still being inside it, it's truly special. I mean, it's so cool to just see it navigating. Yeah. The yeah. slight turns on the wheel. Something I have to ask about is, it's felt like this is coming for a while. Like, I almost feel like the future is here. Like, we're right, seeing this, right. we're sitting in a car with no driver, right. but a lot of people would kind of say, this has been promised every two years kind of thing. And right. it's like, we're finally at the two years in a way. Yeah. And so maybe you could kind of map out where we are in that kind of arc, the five levels of autonomy, yeah. and also where we still have left to go. Yeah, certainly. We are in level four right yeah. now. So fully autonomous, as you can see, nobody in the front seat, no mm -hmm. expectation of a human to take over. And in level two and three, it's really, really crucial to communicate the expectations to the driver. Because yep. it's very easy that during a normal situation, the driver feels, hmm, the car is kind of driving well, so I can pick up a book and start reading. No, yeah. <laughs> that's serious. And there is an expectation to take over. So we are in that level four with a certain scope. So right now, if you were to begin heavily snowing in SF, yeah. which it has, <laughs> believe it or not, last season there was a little bit of snow, we wouldn't operate. We couldn't. But level five is truly defined as anywhere, anytime. Right. I mean, and even the idea of autonomy, people kind of view in this binary way, right? right? right. Like the whole idea of level puts that into perspective. Like right. level two is lane sensing, automatic braking. Right. Is level three where basically what we're doing now, but there would be a human in the front? Or how would you define No, no, I, I would say a vast difference even between level three and level mm -hmm. four, huge. It's almost like difference between driving and flying, I would say. Okay, <laughs> it's a massive yeah. difference because this concept still that within seconds you need to take over mm. versus now we can have this conversation. Yeah, you can look we're not at doing me, anything. Right? That'll be challenging, right? But the assurance level you need to get to for level four is just a universe okay. different, I would say. And if we wanted to, let's just imagine we're rolling down a hill for some yeah. reason. It feels like the car is not stopping. Could I take this over if I wanted to? So if you did, the car would say, hmm, I'm being interfered with. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fully autonomous car. I'm not supposed to be interfered with in this manner. Yep. So it'll pull over, basically. Okay, got it. So we've talked about the kind of arc of innovation. Yep. You've also worked in this industry for a long time, yep. since 2016, is that yep. correct? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about the barriers along the way yep. to level four. What would you say, was it the technology, the regulation, some combination? Are there major factors that have really delayed us from getting to this point where we're now at level four? Yeah, yeah. One thing you mentioned, the innovation arc, I always reflect that on any journey, when you're trying to do something that has never been done before, there will always be ups and downs, yep. some challenges you 
foresaw, some you didn't. Yeah. The key is, are you clear on how massive the price or the benefit to society is yeah. on the other side of it? Because mm -hmm. then that makes it all worth it. So we were super clear from the get-go that a fully autonomous car that does not get drowsy, that we even have physical constraints, right? Yep. So even when you are alert, let's say you were looking for parking on this side of the street, mm -hmm. your face would be turning towards that constantly looking yes. for that parking yep. spot. So you wouldn't be able to see... You don't see have your sensor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't keep turning back and forth. And so we're fundamentally convinced that a fully autonomous driver is going to be safer. Mm -hmm. So once we started that, yes, the largest challenge I would say was largely, I would call it technology, but I mean two different things. One is building the driver itself mm -hmm. that can drive mm -hmm. under these conditions and having the high grade of performance. But also measuring that is pretty hard. This smooth sort of early stage drive under very tight constraints is now relatively with today's technology, not terribly hard to build. Okay. But to be able to do that at the scale of 24-7, mm -hmm. busy intersections at slow speed, but also high-speed intersections of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So in Phoenix, for example, the streets are wider, so you don't deal with these narrow situations. Yep. But the driving speed is 45. People are sometimes going 60 on that. Mm -hmm. That means you got to see a lot further. So very different sets of challenges, very diverse ones. Yeah. And the technology, and it really required the full stack, right? We build the hardware. We build the software, because if you built just the software and waited for somebody else to deliver the hardware, the speed of learning, the speed of iteration that was necessary to build something like this was so steep yeah. that it was not feasible. So we had to build the lasers, the cameras, the radars, and the software on top, and the massive simulation infrastructure I was going to well. say, there's so many moving parts. Yeah, yeah. And actually, maybe let's talk about that technology. Right, sure. So this is my first time in yeah. a fully autonomous vehicle, but I've seen them around my area. They're driving right. around, I see no driver, yeah. but I also see the swirly thing on top. Yeah, yeah. I see a bunch of different kind of appendages mm -hmm. to the car. So maybe you could just break that down. Like what is happening? How is all this technology coming together? Yeah. And what are the bits and pieces that right. you've added onto the car yeah. that allow it to be autonomous? So fundamentally, you can think of it like, is the car aware of what's happening around it? Mm -hmm and then can it anticipate what the things around it are gonna do? Yeah. And then reasoning on what it should do next. These are sort of the three components. In perceiving what's around us, think of the example we were just discussing, you were trying to look for a parking. So you're focused on that task. This car with those appendages, as you mentioned, can see three football fields away, 360 degree, and it's getting a snapshot multiple times a second. Okay. And it's relying on a combination of the state-of-the-art laser, camera, radars, all strategically positioned. Okay. So to give you an idea, lasers give you a very precise understanding of everything around you. It's mm -hmm. the smallest detail. So if there was a child an inch out of this pole, yeah. it would be able to mark, oh, this is a demarcated child away from that pole. Mm -hmm. It'll get to see that. But, you know, the cameras are needed to distinguish between the red light and the green oh, light. Yeah. And the radars can almost see around corners, even when the laser and the camera or our human eyes can't, because okay. they can sense objects coming in. Okay. And so we took an approach that we want to combine the best strengths of each of these modalities to create the best picture of what you can see around the world that you're just 
incredibly better than a human possibly could, both due to the attention span, the range, the fidelity, and the combination of these sensors coming together. So that's what we see. But then there's a harder challenge of anticipating what the person will do. Take a look at that pedestrian. They're standing pretty close to the crosswalk, right? But you don't know if they're going to move, Exactly. Right? Are they going to jump in or are they going to stay? Are they going to jaywalk or are they going to obey the light? Yeah. This requires a deep, deep understanding and tremendous amount of machine learning. Each stage here, by the way, requires an insane amount of machine learning. And it's not the type of thing that you can just like put on the road and no, say like, no. oh, let's see if it makes Yeah, mistakes. we're not <laughs> trying to tell you, is this a cat image or a dog image? Like it's, yeah. so for example, for that pedestrian, in addition to seeing that they're there, acknowledging, which was this problem one, you got to look at even their gait, their hand movement, their leg movement to anticipate, are they about to take motion? And if you are always conservative, which was say four years ago, it like we couldn't detect the pedestrians, we could totally detect them. It was this nuance of are we being over conservative, assuming they may jump in and let's not move, right. versus confidently moving forward. The doors will remain blocked when Ooh, arrive. so are we at our first stop of the, the multi stop? So, yeah, that anticipation of what a car is going to do, what a pedestrian is going to do, what a child mm -hmm. is going to do, because they can erratically jump through, yeah. what a motorcyclist is going to do. Are they going to lane split and speed and get around you? Mm -hmm. So, all these motion models and understanding of how people behave, how this gentleman is walking, and what their gait and motion tells you about where they're going to go, that is the second. And third and final, what should the car do? This feeling that you had that it gently accelerated, but not harshly. Yes. That takes into account not just look at this gentleman. He is almost has his feet almost in the crosswalk, but he's not intending to cross yeah. because he has a stop sign. A very conservative system would just come to a stop. But mm. here we sort of asserted ourselves a little bit. Yeah, we said, went for it. Yeah. That's such a great point because so I learned to drive in the last year. I was actually waiting for self-driving and it took a little too long. But as part of that, oh, we got to resume. Right resume yeah, absolutely. Let's go. You can see here, for example, we're showing... Oh, yeah, they're jaywalking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you see, within the last minute, you saw an example in which we looked and we noticed that this pedestrian is not going to cross, so we didn't mm -hmm. come to an abrupt halt. We went through smoothly. And later, we just noticed that somebody's jaywalking and we yielded to them. Yeah. That delicate nuance is... And like this out. lady, you, you actually don't know. She kind of yeah. looks like, oh, yeah. she went back, And but... you can see here, we are tracking them. So, yeah. you know, if there was an anxious passenger, is this car seeing it? We give them the feedback that we are. We're seeing this pedestrian crossing right here mm -hmm. on the screen. We tell them why we're slowing, because what happens is also people zone out, they take their space, they speak to their kid if they're picking them up after soccer practice, or take a phone call, and then they notice when the car is stopped, and they're like, hmm, why are we stopped? And here we try to give them the feedback why we're yep. stopped. It's for a stop sign now. Or we're yielding for this truck that passed by. So I want to get to the comfort, like how do you past autonomy evolve this product, because it really is a product. Yeah. But first, I feel like the rivalry in self-driving is LiDAR versus Tesla Vision or the video processing. How has Waymo thought about that decision of what some people pose it as expensive hardware, more simple software because you have so much fidelity from LiDAR right. versus a bunch of cameras and just like a lot heavier processing. So right. what went into that decision? And also, yeah. how are you thinking about that moving forward? Like, is there a future where maybe actually you don't need all of the same sensing systems? Yeah, great question. So personally, I have found the LiDAR and video debate almost takes like an ideological sense. Mm -hmm. You know, for hard problems, like the innovation arc that we're talking about, yeah. the best approach is taking a first principles approach, right? Mm -hmm. Without neither love nor hate for a specific <laughs> technology. That is a technology. You, yeah. you shouldn't get to that level. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. And LiDAR clearly has strengths that a camera doesn't. For example, okay. at nighttime, 
Even the best cameras will have some challenges. And camera clearly has strengths that the LiDAR doesn't, the red-green example that we mentioned. And similarly, radar has strengths that LiDARs and cameras don't. So saying you love LiDARs and hate cameras or vice versa is saying you love one wavelength versus the other wavelength, right? It's not a fundamental thing. Okay. But there is a practical question. So on the first principles, does the combination of these sensors position you better than individual? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. We can show you that there are situations in which camera will be insufficient. Now the question is a practical economic one. Is your ability to bring this public good to a large number of individuals hindered by the fact that these things are expensive? Yes. And LIDARs, 20 years ago, if somebody told you that all these cars are going to have radars, you'd be like, no, radars are expensive. Guess what? Most cars have radars today. Cameras on cell phones were a novelty. Now, cell phones have better cameras than dedicated cameras of six years ago. Yep. LIDAR is going through the same transformation. Okay. Right now, the iPhones have LIDARs, right? The amount we have been able to cost down these LIDARs in the last two years is incredible. Okay, um, so you're not factor. concerned about no, that. No. And four or five years ago, we had that belief. Now mm -hmm. we have that proof. Because hardware generations, there's multiple examples outside of Waymo to see something that began. Chips are a great yes. example. Cameras are a great example. So it would be surprising if you had a hardware that you were able to package and then with focused effort you weren't able to. So we had that belief and now mm -hmm. we have the proof. Right. And Waymo actually manufactures LiDAR, yes. correct? And I feel like Waymo, in a way, has chosen to, to your point, like manufacture the hardware, yep. work on its own software, simulation technology. Give me the thought process there in terms of there's always this question in business. Do right. I build? Do I borrow? Do I buy? Yeah, yeah. And given that this is a capital intensive business, how do you think about that? Where should you outsource and where do you really need that fundamental technology yourself? Great question. The first thought we had, let's build this all ourselves. That was not the first thought. <laughs> but we said, okay, let's see what's the best out there. Absolute mm -hmm. best. Even easing a little bit the cost requirements. Say we yeah. were willing to pay. Yeah, let's, we'll pay for uh, yeah, we're, What's the best out there? And what we found is that the absolute best LiDAR out there, absolute best radar out there, was not optimized for the task of autonomous driving. Okay. And hence, we had to build it. Each hardware generation, we do evaluate that. We try to see, okay, hmm, have radars evolved to the point that we could use something off the shelf? So that build versus buy is a pretty practical choice each single time. And as we look forward, the question becomes, where do you build a moat? Because now you're not the only company that has achieved some level of autonomy. And you could imagine, like, let's just say a future where we've just achieved level five in many places with many companies. Yeah. How do you think about what differentiates? Is it really a data moat based on the amount of training that a company has been able to do? Is it owning like the proprietary LiDAR that is just 10x cheaper than the yeah. competitor? I'm trying to think ahead in terms of where does value really accrue in yeah. that future? So first, just thinking of the space we're operating in, yep. we're talking about a space with trillion you know, miles, right? Yes. So it's vast. Imagine when, let's say, the first cars were being built, folks said, hey, is there space for only one provider or two providers, mm -hmm. right? When you're talking about a space of a trillion miles of today, yep. and then you think about what is the potential value add when you have a driver that drives itself. Because partly, if you think about the miles today, we talk about a truck driver shortage, for example. Yep. In fact, even those commercial miles are kind of stunted by the lack of availability sure. of drivers. Yeah. So really, we're talking about a space that is 
all cars, trucks, and all transportation, when something is that vast, and the number of autonomy players today are much smaller than three years ago, if you look at it, because it is a pretty challenging problem still. Mm -hmm. So I think the universe is different, but still a valid question. We do believe that there's a knowledge curve. Mm -hmm. So by having driven 20 million plus miles in testing, by having done billions of miles of simulation, we become aware of problem spaces that others may not have discovered yet. And that goes into hardware design and software design and simulation design. Hardware design in particular has long lead times. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a flywheel effect. Your question about how did you know you had to build your own laser? Because by that time we had already <laughs> driven 10 million miles and we were like, hmm, we're going to need that. Yeah. Uh, that thing's whoops. That was a person oh, you see, saw yeah. there. That person basically ran a red light. It was red for them. <laughs> And we can talk if you and or I were driving. Well, I was going to say, yeah. like, I think if I was a human driving there, like, I don't know what would have happened. And you would definitely not have been able to carry a conversation no. when that was happening, <laughs> no, right? No. So. no, I can barely, I can't even talk to someone next to me right, most of the time right. when I'm driving. But, okay, so talking about the technology, I want to talk about safety next. But first, are there any important technological unlocks that you still see on the horizon that not just Waymo, but the industry of autonomy is still trying to solve. Is it really that cost curve or is there something else that is still in the way of us really rolling this out more broadly? And look, we are definitely, the rate of innovation even just within Waymo, which I can speak to most confidently, is massive. I'll give you a concrete example. When we came from Phoenix to SF, we did have some work to do to adapt to the assertiveness in the driving here is different from the Phoenix driving. But when we went to Los Angeles, the driver worked shockingly good from the get-go. Really? Yeah, shockingly. And now there's a portion of Scottsdale, which okay. is the northeastern part of our Phoenix territory. It's a much denser area, lots of restaurants, lots of shops. There we were able to go in like within two months. We just went there, we decided we're gonna open up Scottsdale within two months. Mm. And the mm. reason for that is we're truly, the driver's generalizing very well. Okay. And the concept is pretty intuitive. And this is advancement in AI that's enabling it, but Think of a driver that's capable of this kind of tight traffic navigation. Yes. Lots of pedestrians and cyclists, but low speed of travel. That's where we are right now. Yes. Now imagine in Phoenix, 45 miles per hour, three lane, four lane streets, lots of oncoming traffic and being able to navigate that. Pretty much every good weather city is like a linear combination of those two things, right? So in right. Los Angeles... You kind of got to, the, yeah, the best of both worlds. Exactly. So when you go to West Hollywood, you're much more like a SF-style driving. Lots of pedestrians, cyclists, mm -hmm. and so on. You go to the LA's more faster boulevards, it's a lot like Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So once you have solved these two, you just the AI is just much more generalizable. The second area I would say, you already mentioned cost down is making the simulator a lot better. Okay. I'll give you an example. We have billions of miles of simulation in good weather. Yeah. If you want to test how would we do in rain, imagine being able to simulate rain so that you can take all the learnings in good weather, all the tough situations you encountered, and now test yourself in rain. What if rain was a complicating factor on top of that? Mm -hmm. What if I add a cyclist into that tough situation more? What if all these combinatorial questions, yep. being able to realistically simulate that, that's also a huge area. Yeah, I mean, it's a little foggy today, but I also wonder, you know, you talked about AI, and yeah. obviously this is running off of an algorithm that's yeah. been trained on all these right, miles. Right. Is it one algorithm, or let's say it is an extremely foggy day, it's a rainy day, you're yeah. in a new environment, is it a different, slightly fine-tuned model based on different situations, or is it all one aggregate that's just ingesting all of this information? 
It's definitely many, many deep models, some very general, extremely deep learning models and some specialized models to make them really good at some very hard tasks. Like, for example, understanding pedestrian's intent is such a vast space. It's like understanding humans, I right? I know, and we're like, pretty hard takes, to understand. It takes us a lifetime to understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. So understanding human behavior and motion, there could be specific models. Mm-hmm. There could be end-to-end models on just driving like a good citizen, polite to other riders. That can be a more end-to-end model. Being comfortable to riders' preferences, that can be a very end-to-end model as well. So it's a mix of this. And there's AI at every layer of the stack, from perceiving the world to predicting other people's behavior to the driving to the testing. So, for example, you asked about fog. So what we tried to do is we both observed how other people drive in fog. We also tried to reason about how well can we see in fog. So if this fog Mm. were to get a lot denser, the appropriate thing to do is I can't see that far, so I shouldn't be driving as fast as I would normally do. Yes. So that kind of learning is built in into multiple layers of the stack as well. But also some general things that the AI surprises you. You asked about fine tuning. One of the powerful things that deep models are telling us, as well as generative AI is telling us, is that you actually don't need to hand tune every single thing. Okay. It works. So that kind of learning we are doing. And one thing I will say, you asked about Moat a little bit earlier. You know, the high-level concept of AI may be easy to understand, but really the breakthrough engineering that you sometimes need in AI is just having the raw infrastructure to intake all this data. The amount of data you have to learn to handle to build a really Mm. well-learned algorithm is is pretty hard. And that's where Google's infrastructure that Uh, we have worked with is just immense. And the machine learning investments that Waymo and Google did 12 years ago, 13 years ago, is beginning to pay off in a manner that's pretty hard to just get there. So yeah. that's a mode as well. That's actually a great point because, again, we're in a space where you need to react in milliseconds, right, right? right? And so you need to not just be able to train this algorithm, but to interpret live yeah. and process that information yeah. live. Let's talk about safety, right? I yeah. mean, that is like yeah. the foundational yeah. piece of whether we can get yeah. these cars on the road. Right, right. And something I'd love to hear from you on is how different parties interpret safety. Being on the road, you could say, just inherently isn't safe. You can get in a crash, you can die. Unfortunately, that happens every day. So how would you say between the regulators, the technologists like yourself who are building this, and then the consumers, the people, the riders, how do each of them view this like concept of safety? How are you designing the product with that in mind? That is the analytical and quantitative version of safety. You can say the nature of collisions you have, the probability of entering into a certain collision under certain circumstances, a lot of complications in there. Mm -hmm. And good news is many regulatory bodies do have their teams that study crashes and there are great databases of crashes and so on. There's the element of risky behavior. You may have gotten lucky that you didn't get into a collision, but you undertook risky behavior. Uh, So uh for example, in that situation we were in before, we could see that those two individuals were going to jaywalk. Yes. Now, you could have argued that, well, the car has the right of way, we were driving right. No, but that's risky behavior, right? Mm -hmm. It's preventative behavior. So you can't see that solely with the presence or absence of collisions. Were you a good driver? And third and finally, do you make the person feel safe? Mm -hmm. So we could be breaking hard anytime we sense a risk. Yeah. Or we could feel very safe. (laughs) Exactly. You wouldn't feel very safe. And then the fourth layer I would add on top of that is just because you figured out how to drive smoothly, meeting the expectations of a rider, you shouldn't falsely promise Mm. the 
true analytical safety either. So for example, designing an algorithm whereby you drive smooth on a street could be easy, but you shouldn't overpromise that you can detect a pedestrian jumping out of a car. That takes real heavy engineering that consumer may begin believing that, oh, just because it can drive smoothly, it can probably protect me from that. And I think being truthful about your capabilities mm-hmm. is really, really important and what Waymo has tried you to do. see their reaction? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can see how tight the space is. Truck on the right, a car just went by, a pedestrian just crossed, and there's somebody just going in. And noticing that this fire truck didn't have its sirens on, so yes. it didn't try to rush to, out of the uh, way. Yeah, to get out. So, slight change into that situation, which we can test in simulation. We would say, hmm, right now the politest thing to do is let that pedestrian pass and, you know, wait for this turn. But when the sirens are on, it's a different environment. Uh-huh. So anyhow. Uh, and that's minor, another data point, right? Yes. That you need to take in. It's sound. It's not exactly. just visual. Oh, yeah. Or... That's the sensor we didn't discuss. There are microphones that can not only hear that there's a siren, mm-hmm. but also point at where the siren is coming yeah, from. Yeah, directionally. Yeah. That's fascinating. What does the data say, though? Can you kind of ground us in there is a certain number of crashes yes. that humans engage with yeah. every single year, yeah. and then where the technology is at yeah. relative to that? Yeah, so both the methodology by which we evaluate our safety, which is a combination Ooh. of many, many... This will be interesting. Yeah, There's yeah. a bunch it's of... It's a whole uh, ocean of cyclists here. <laughs> look at that. It went around a double park truck. And look and at you them. See it They're can like, detect- they don't know what to... <laughs> yeah, look at all of them. We, we're telling you who are we waiting for. See, they just pointed yeah. inside. <laughs> look at that. We can detect all of them. We're giving you feedback that we yeah, can see Yeah, you can literally sense every single yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, and them coming around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And we're turning because we can see that their handles are turning leftward. So we can yeah. understand that they're likely going to go that way. Right. So we don't have to come to a stop. So balance between making progress, because mm-hmm. that's what a rider expects. Yeah, exactly. And ultra conservative behavior that may or may not be warranted. To your earlier question, so what we did is, I'll give you just two examples from many safety methodologies we employ. East Valley of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We have been operating for a while. There, one thing we did is we took every fatal crash that had occurred and re-simulated and showed that Waymo could avoid that. Okay. That was one very specific data set. What we also did is we were the first company ever to cross one million fully autonomous miles, miles like this yes. one. Yes. Nobody yeah. in the front seat. So there's no debate about what the car could have done. It was real miles. In that, we published our full crash stats. Okay. And there was not a single collision with injury. In really? one million months. Not a single one. Not a single one. Okay. And only two of them would meet the standards of a reportability called CISS. And yeah. All right. You're here. Oh, we're here. Yeah. And you're, look yeah, at that how it stopped because it saw that they wanted to cross. I love seeing it. so many people when yeah. they look inside. Look at yeah. <laughs> Just like, what's going on there? All right. Oh, but did you hear telling us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm going to click resume ride. And the reason, by the way, we're switching a little bit from safety to user experience design. The reason it told you cyclists approaching is what we know is even when the car is stopped, what happens is people open the door mm, of the cyclist. Was just... <laughs> I mean, I've seen so videos of that. So this element of safety, it's not just about when it's driving, but it's about caring about safety right. every second. I love the analogy you used about even a driver. We only have two eyes. They're right up in the front of our face. If we're looking a certain direction, if we're focused on music or a podcast in the car, our senses are as much as we like to believe as humans. We're all special and we're the best drivers. 
we are variable in ourselves in terms of what we're focused on. And um, if your two kids in the back start screaming yeah. at each other or something. <laughs> By the way, I know you're relatively new to SF yes, as I well. Am. I hope you're enjoying the view as I well. I am. I know so it's we're so going cool by to some see iconic locations. The city, absolutely. I love to think about these like second, third order yeah, effects, like yeah. people taking city tours yeah, in these cars. Yeah. I mean, we've basically turned this into a recording right. studio, which yeah, you would never think yeah. of in the past. I can take confidential work calls. Yeah. That was not a thing I could do before, right? Oh, it's such a good point. I was looking through the reviews on the app and I yeah. saw this one you get a sense of the user that wants to be in a car like this and they called it basically Uber and Lyft for introverts and <laughs> you know there's just these little things that you don't oh, think yeah. about because again we're fixated on safety and right, that is right. so foundational but then you really do once you have yeah. covered safety once it becomes safe in the eyes of the regulators the consumers yeah. it opens up all these doors oh absolutely you know we work with so many founders in nascent spaces, AI, yep. Web3, space. Yep. I would say those three industries also have a fair amount of pushback, which autonomous vehicles right. do as well, right? And in many cases, rightfully so, especially autonomous vehicles, like we're talking about people's lives yep. on the line. And so have there been any learnings since you've been working in this space for a while where you're trying to meet this safety need, yep. but you're also trying to push regulation, welcome this technology into different cities? Yeah, yeah. It may sound like an idealistic answer, but I do believe that there are applications that have a fundamentally different use case or a promise, and then they're trying to make sure they're not harming the public mm -hmm. or unintended consequences. The reason we exist is to make driving safer. So we have uh -huh. deep fundamental alignment with what sometimes the regulators are trying to achieve. Now, we may have different inputs, we may have different data, we may have be approaching it from a different angle, but I believe that every conversation I have had with anybody who is in state, federal, or local government, or even outside of regulators, just firemen, local law enforcement, we very quickly in that conversation, I begin to appreciate, our team begins to appreciate, and they begin to appreciate that we're trying to do the same thing here. Okay. And that is a powerful baseline to begin constructive conversations out of. But if, for example, the goal was something else, and by the way, what about safety, <laughs> right? That would be a very challenging conversation. Mm -hmm. We try to say, this is what we're trying to do, folks. This is what we have measured. This Finding is the common left. ground. Yeah, and just transparently sharing the data. Yeah. Safety, oh, is it collisions? All right, well, in collisions, we have published our accident reconstruction. We have done 20 million miles of testing billions of miles of simulation, and we're telling you every single contact we have had in one million autonomous miles. By the way, this week we're about to cross two million. First company go. again. Yeah. First company again, 24-7, including daytime, not filtering out any of the challenging situations, dense downtowns, 24-7, two million miles, more than 160 years of human driving worth of data we will just share with the world. Yeah. And then they can see for themselves that we're clearly a safer driver. And if ever, there was an event about which they asked us, we would transparently share with them. Yeah. So I think that gives a fundamentally good basis. And I genuinely believe that even the word pushback, right? It's almost like internal debates at Waymo. Mm. When we debate, how should we design this thing? Yeah. We come at it from different angles. Somebody may see the user's expectation of smoothness of drive. Somebody may see more, hmm, what's that scooter's intent? You see how the scooter swung yeah. in from the right, kind of came in between a bus and themselves. Mm -hmm. What are their expectations? What's the expectation of a pedestrian if they were to jump out on this side? Mm -hmm. We may approach the problem from different angles, but our core mission of safety is so deeply drilled into every way, Monat, that we believe that every person who meets us will see that. 
Yeah, and I mean, one aspect I love that it's ingesting all this data yeah. from, so, like you said, almost two million miles now. And when you think about us as human drivers, like no one, like no, I no. certainly have not driven two million miles. I'm not even really processing exactly what happens when a right, scooter right. is coming up right. on the right here. And if I've spent my whole life driving an SF, which is not the case for me, but some yeah. people that is, and then you drop them in Phoenix, they are new to that yeah. road, just like you training right, right. in a new city. And by the way, the two million thing that you mentioned, that's just the fully autonomous miles. Mm -hmm. Not we have the billions, billions in simulation. In simulation. Yep. But yeah, here there was a lot of experimentation on how much is the appropriate amount of detail. So the vehicle and the sensors are seeing a lot more detail than what's yes. being shown here, right? We're seeing many, many points per square inch of detail here. So we tried to experiment with how much detail we put in here. And there are folks who when in the early days we had a version here that would show a lot more detail. Mm -hmm. And they would engage like this, <laughs> right? They would, in fact, they would look more inside than outside the window and keep cross-checking, did it see that cone? Did it see that thing? Yeah. And what we came to a balance with is we want to put people at ease and invite them to use this space. Mm -hmm. And it pops up. So when the vehicle stops, you will notice it'll try to explain why it's stopping. Like, is it a stop sign or is it yielding to a pedestrian? Because we realized through lots of experimentation that that's when people want to take a look at the screen. Okay. So, yeah. for example, if you're going by yourself, we want you to get lost in the beauty of San Francisco yeah. around you. If you are checking emails, it's all right, go do that. And yeah. you will take your head off your phone or from viewing the painted ladies when you see, hmm, why are we stopped? And we will tell you, well, there are oh, two pedestrians on the right. There is a car crossing on the left. There's a car parking in the front. We'll explain that to you. But then you can see here, who are we slowing down for? Mm -hmm. You see that little gentle highlight? Lots of design experimentation goes into that. Because we don't That's want to be in your face. We want to be gentle, soft. And you'll notice that in the night, this will go into dark mode. Mm. Because the ambient lighting is reduced. So we don't want to be too bright. Because yeah. if you want to just take a nap, want you to take a nap. <laughs> That's a great point. And I'm curious if there's other learnings from, again, you've rolled this out. The number one thing is safety. But then from there, it's like, yep. how do you create a great product that people oh, yeah. want to engage with, that people want to come back to? So it's right. not just a novelty, right? Where you're like, oh, I sat in an yeah. autonomous vehicle where they want to use this for their commute every day or for their daily lives. So how yeah. do you think about that? Other than maybe the screen, are there other things? Oh yeah, thousands, thousands. And by the way, speaking of modes, that's another powerful flywheel advantage, right? If you have served the first 10,000 humans who have been in a fully mm -hmm. autonomous car, the feedback they give you and the time you have to incorporate that into your learnings yep. is, is a great positive flywheel approaching 100,000 fully autonomous rides in a month. So that feedback does help. I'll give you just a couple of examples. We could speak for hours just on that part. Mm -hmm. One example I'll tell you is imagine a residential street like this one that we're yes. passing. Remember when we were getting into the car, you were asking, hmm, which side of the street should I be on? Yep. Now imagine you're just getting out of home, yep. going to work. Some riders, you would imagine, expect the vehicle to pull up right on their side of the street. Mm -hmm. Actually, it turns out to be largely incorrect. Because the way you would achieve that is, let's say you were coming from this direction, you would make a U-turn yes. and come back to them. But on narrow residential streets, folks are like, that was not necessary. Yeah. It takes me a second to walk across the street. I could have entered on the other street. Well, you didn't need to turn around. Yeah, you're like, I'm, I gotta yeah, get to work. Yeah, I gotta get work. <laughs> but that same reasoning does not hold on a street like this one. Yes. Yeah. Because you're like, why are you making me cross two lanes of traffic? I was going to the coffee shop on the other side. 
just drop me in front of the coffee mm-hmm. shop. Mm-hmm. So you can see how it's not just a single rule that you code in. You don't yeah. say, hey, always park on the side that the pedestrian is on. No, mm-hmm. it depends on the context. If you're on a busy street like that and somebody's going to a business, they would like to be dropped very likely in front of the business they're going to. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they are getting out of home, going to work, and it's a narrow residential street, just go to whichever side is closest. Yep. That's just a thing. Just that rule, training it, mm-hmm. required speaking to many riders what they expect, learning that and then being able to articulate that from a machine learning standpoint and overall rules-based standpoint. That's just one example, many more. Are there any other learnings about what makes people feel comfortable or want to come back? Like one thing that's coming up is like, I can see the driving wheel, right? And I can imagine, especially once L5 is hit, then we don't really need the steering wheel, right? You don't need the same car design because in the past, for 100 years, cars have been designed around the driver. And now we don't have a driver. So, you know, it introduces all these questions. But I'm curious, I know we haven't removed the steering wheel per se, but are there other dynamics that just from us growing up in cars designed a certain way that we expect certain things? And then are there other things where you're actually like, oh, no, we can start to get rid of some of this? Yeah, yeah. Specifically about the steering wheel, it's blocked currently Mm -hmm. by regulations beyond a certain number of vehicles and so on. And our next generation vehicle that we did design with CVT and Geely is a pretty powerful platform thought with the rider in mind. So we spent months and years with designers on all teams trying to visualize that. I personally do believe that thinking of all the screen and software aspects... (laughs) He's like waving the car. Did you see that? And and that was beautiful, wasn't yeah. it? Like, it's it's polite, but it's also responsive. Mm-hmm. And that that you know, today we spoke about everything from safety to artificial intelligence to design to user understanding. Yeah. In that three seconds, there, all of that got Is exercised, it, right? Because right? yes. we were confident that there's enough gap. There's no imminent contact. We saw a collaborative fellow occupant of the road, not mm-hmm. an adversarial one, because sometimes they could be the other kind. <laughs> Have you seen that, by the way, I mean, where people will start yelling oh, at? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I mean, yelling is expression of emotions. That's okay. Yeah. The physical demonstration mm-hmm. of turning in or uh, like that example that we saw right now of somebody who ran a red light, yes. if you recall. Yeah. Those are the ones that are truly could result in danger, mm-hmm. which is what the vehicle positions it. It thinks about many small details. Where is it positioning itself? How much gap is it leaving? What's its velocity so that it has the greatest optionality if somebody were to behave recklessly? Okay. So when we are crossing that sign, we're not assuming that everybody's going to obey the light. We're trying to monitor, hmm, their light is red, okay. which means they should be slowing down. Why mm-hmm. aren't they slowing down? That's an anomaly. Let's prepare for this anomaly. Let's protect. Let's be defensive against that yes. anomaly. Like something that comes to mind is just as a rider, you yeah. wanting to feel confident in the car and seeing it be a little more assertive is yeah. actually really reassuring at points like when it makes sense. Yeah. Because to your point, if it's constantly stopping, if it's yeah, constantly yeah. pulling over, then I don't have confidence that this right, thing right. is going to know what to do in a kind of yeah, trivial... And, and you have a busy life. You want to get where you're going, right? So, by the way... Iconic place coming up. Oh, yeah. Are we at the Painted Ladies? Yeah. I think I see them up there. Yeah, yeah. By the way, that's the other thing you were asking early on about where are we in the journey. We are in San Francisco. We're not taking you to some little test facility in a desert to show you that this car can drive. We are on the road. most vibrant cities on the planet. And if you wanted to come by to Los Angeles, we would take you to the most important part of Los Angeles. And in Phoenix, we would take you to Scottsdale, and when you land at Mm. the airport, we would pick you up at the airport. That's where we are in the journey. We're fully autonomous where we need to be. I love that it tells you finding a spot to pull over. Yeah, look at that. 
right? And it sees all those little kids there. Do you see that? Yep. And it's more cautious because it understands that kids can jump out more right. erratically than another. <laughs> They're unpredictable. Yes. Oh, and vehicle approaching. So that's what yeah. you were saying earlier yeah. about so you know not to open your door. Exactly. Exactly. And now you can continue. Please make sure. All right. So those are the painted ladies. Beautiful. But yeah, I love the point that we're just we're fully on the road. We're not in the middle of nowhere practicing. And you should see the eyes of that kid just noticing that we don't have a driver. <laughs> Look at that. Like he's young enough where yeah. he can't even articulate, but he's like, this isn't yeah. my pattern recognition yes. is off. And by here. the time he grows up, this will be the more yeah. common route. Well, I mean, you mentioned you're in SF, you're in Phoenix. Yeah, Los Angeles. LA. How have you decided which markets to address first? Is it just a matter of what cities will welcome this technology? What goes into that calculus? In the very, very early days, we tried to make sure that we're picking a city that challenged the system in very different directions because mm. we were in development stage. So we tested in 20 cities just to make sure that from the very early days, we're building a generalizable driver, not yep. one that just works in one location, but generalizes double parked uh, truck, by the way. Mm. And so is Where's, it, it's even sensing maybe the yeah, lights yeah, blinking? Yeah, yeah. When, for example, somebody's unparking, we notice their noses starting to mm. jet out. It's just so bizarre to see a wheel moving on its yeah. own like that. Like it truly does look kind of fake <laughs> in a way. But yeah, so you're trying to find cities that kind of test the system push it forward. Yeah, and then what we found is that we have tested, for example, in Miami as well for the heavy rain. Mm. We have tested in Death Valley for extreme temperatures. We have tested in Tahoe for snow. So there was a testing phase in which we went to 20 cities just to make sure with enough of a diverse data set to be building off of. Look at that gentle, because this car yeah. was coming, that tram was coming. Anyhow, this beauty to see. I know, every second, I love right it. It really is something that it's, it's like I'm watching. And you can see this pedestrian crossing, the car going, another one approaching, but green light, so turn right after the pedestrian went off. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm, <laughs> and you were asking me, does it get boring for you after working? Oh, well, I, I love seeing your excitement because I mean, this is my first time, so I really am like as they say, like taking it all in. Yeah. How many yeah. times do you think you've been uh, in a... Uh, like just the first year in 2019, I spent a ton of hours in it. Actually, were you scared at all when you were first testing it? Because now, I mean, I guess I've seen some of the data. I've seen these on the road. Yeah. So there's a level of like, oh, I, I know these work. Yeah. But when you were first getting into the vehicle, was there any like fear, apprehension? Um, not fear. The closest feeling I can describe is when you have prepared for an exam for mm. six years. Whatever is the biggest exam you've yep. given, the little feeling that you got, that you have prepared as best as you possibly yep. could for it. You left nothing on the table, but it is exam day. You're like, oh gosh, I hope I can <laughs> right, show up where right, I hope right, this works. Right. Well, it's funny because a lot of people, they'll see the stats and they'll be like, that's the average human. But they think for whatever reason, they outperform the average human on the road. But I'm the opposite. I'm yeah. like you, where I'm like, I want this. The fundamental attribution error, by the way, is that yeah. more than 50% of people think they're better than the average, which is <laughs> yeah. not supposed to be feasible, right? So maybe on the city selection, just to close that out. So yeah, LA, two billion plus town. Mm. A huge diversity of use cases, everything from commute trips all the way to sports events to sightseeing tours that you were mentioning. San Francisco, similarly, both SF and LA are top two among the top five ride hailing markets in the US mm -hmm. and among the top in the world. Phoenix is the fastest growing city in the United States. Phoenix Airport is among the top 10 busiest airports in the world. Mm. So when we commit to a city for a launch, 
Right. That's different than going to a city for data collection and testing. Something else that's coming to mind is, I wonder, we are in the early stages, we're only in a few cities, but as consumers do see these on the roads, like this is something that some people really will want to see in their cities. And so have you seen any shift in terms of regulators maybe being a little against it to actually being like, this is a competitive advantage if my city offers this? We definitely see that in the place where we have been the longest is Phoenix East mm -hmm. Valley. And everybody from passengers to neighbors who even haven't taken a ride, they notice that it's a much more polite driver, to law enforcement, all the way to city and mayoral level, all the way to state level, absolutely. I love thinking about just what does this unlock? Yeah. And there are a few industries that can unlock so much because yeah. people do spend so much time oh, yeah. in cars. I think that was an amazing, beautiful thing we saw from re right. remote work. It's just right. the second, third order effects. Like what do we right. have when we get that commute back? But then there still are people spending a lot of time on the roads. And so I'd love to hear from you, like, what are some of those impacts, the wider impacts? Maybe it's on the way the insurance industry works. Maybe it's on trucking. Yeah. Maybe it's on city design. Now that we have data, like that's another aspect. Right. We now have data about how people really move around a city and interact and how yeah. things are designed, parking, right? Yeah. So maybe pick and choose what yeah. excites you the yeah. most. Like, pretty vast. Yeah, yeah, right. So I do believe it's pretty profound and mm -hmm. only some of those aspects we can see and some we will be shocked by what yeah. it'll do. Because again, like you said, not only is the car designed around a driver, life is designed around driving, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like look at how much parking space. You know, that house right there costs insanely higher amount <laughs> in dollar per square mile as I'm sure as a new SF resident you're yes, aware of. Oh, well but think aware. of the parking. So there are so many things in our cities that are designed around assumption of not only a human driver, but also of a highly underutilized expensive asset just mm. sitting there. All these vehicles just add up the cost of these vehicles and think of how much space in the city they may be consuming while not adding to the productivity of yes. the city. Because yeah. at this instant, I'm sure each of these vehicles added to the mobility and freedom of individuals. That's great. But at this instant, they're not utilized. They're, they're not adding value, not neither to their rider. They're giving a promise that when the person who has gone in for an eight-hour workday, when they come out, it'll still be there. I heard this quote the other day. It was like, we dedicate in cities more space to sleeping cars than sleeping humans, right. which is kind of crazy when you right. think about and, it. And first and foremost, there are people who are traveling today that we believe over time, the, just the roads will get safer. And okay. that in itself, I know I'm saying safety so many times, but that truly is central, right? 1.35 million people are killed on wow. the streets. How is that acceptable, right? So that's first and foremost for all kinds of, for society at large. It, it's a pandemic almost, mm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is a antidote to that. And then there are classes of individuals for whom this freedom is not available. Mm -hmm. Above 65, many folks can't drive anymore or, or drive while taking risk or would have the freedom of mobility. There are folks with visual impairments. Yes. Then vulnerable populations being able to take jobs that they otherwise wouldn't have been. That mm -hmm. nighttime use case that we said, yeah. giving economic opportunity, so which they simply would not be comfortable. Or you shouldn't ask somebody to own a car before they can take their entry level job. Like that's a challenging economic catch-22, right? <laughs> so there's that. Then the third is, yes, how much pollution idling cars in city centers are causing, mm -hmm. how much city real estate is being lost to idle assets. 
so yeah, layers and layers upon that. And yes, that's just in passenger vehicles. Then you uh, consider in-city delivery. Then you consider long haul trucking where already a tremendous amount of economic opportunity in the United States is being lost to lack of drivers. And by the way, when we do have drivers, we have mandatory brakes because fatigue is a real thing. We recently moved. I drove yeah. from near San Diego up to San Francisco right. and we happened to do it at night. And yeah. just the number of truck drivers that we saw on the route, I just, I knew this already, but seeing yeah. it, I was like, something feels wrong here. And I just imagine a future where some people might not like this, but that's automated. That sounds beautiful to me. Yeah, and, and there's a beautiful transition points as well in the sense that truck driving could become a local job, which would be powerful in many, many different ways in the sense mm -hmm. that. Oh, oh you I see? see it since the pylon. Yeah. And you see that? Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Because see, I was wondering actually if it could tell if that's yeah. a human. So they can tell that those are humans. Yeah. But then these, these are, are pylons, pylons and it can and sense you, every single one. And there was like a roughly written Don't keep right and it understood going there. Yeah, because you could imagine how yeah, it might yeah, think yeah. to go we, left. Yeah, I think there's enough space there. So I think construction zones, by the way, are interesting change to an otherwise structured world, right? Because there, no construction yeah. zone is the same, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's like Each one is unique worked. and the degree of intelligence required to figure that out is pretty substantial as well because it's suddenly you're breaking the prior structure mm. of the world. Yeah, so I mean, you mentioned how these vehicles can actually make our world safer. I mean, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but do you imagine a future where actually right now it's, it's like most humans drive? Yeah. where actually it becomes illegal or the minority of, of people who are able to drive because we get the technology so far along where it's just, again, it's a no-brainer yeah. for us to have the tech drive us around instead of vice versa. The mission we have is being able to provide this option safe and easy for people and things to move around. I think it's good to have the choice. All right, so maybe to close things off, I'd love to hear, you've been working in this space for a while. What gets you excited? Seeing the riders the first time, the fifth time, and what they say about us, that gets me excited. Amazing. Well, thank you so yeah. much. This was an excellent first ride. I'm so excited to do this more in San yeah. Francisco. I love, love the music too up there. They're yeah. welcome. Yeah. To By the way, we had out. lots of music as well. We yeah, were having a conversation, I so I didn't show you. But yeah, a lot of effort has gone into this one as well. Yeah, and I can't wait. I imagine like this being personalized as well yeah, in the yeah. future. The climate control, the music, yeah, hooking up to absolutely. Spotify. From your app, from, we did both of these screens as well because there would be cases in which yeah. somebody would be in front, synchronizing all of that. But Amazing. for another time. Well, yeah. this was great. And I guess we just hop out. Yeah, yeah. We're here. was great. I guess I shouldn't. It knows I'm here. It knows. I'm imagining myself on the screen. Yes. <laughs> the little dot. So how did you find the ride? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's funny because I only really noticed the lack of driver for maybe two minutes. And yeah. then, as you saw, I was so right, like right. involved in the conversation. It, you know, you don't even notice there's right, no driver right. there. And that's, that's what we want. What's that quote where it's like any sufficiently advanced technology is right. indistinguishable from magic? Right. And it, right. it really does like, wow, we're here. Yeah. We're I'm, here. We yeah. just did it. I'm, well, I'm glad to have been there when you had your first experience. Yeah. There. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Awesome. This was so cool. Yeah. All right. If you made it to the end here, I just wanted to say thank you. This episode in particular was actually really special to me. 
I got my first learner's permit when I was 16 in Canada. And I actually waited until I was 29 to get my driver's license because quite frankly, it scared me. And I was waiting for self-driving. And it's finally, at least in some places like San Francisco, it has arrived. And I am so excited. I am so happy that I could share this with you. And if you are just as excited as I am to see how this whole thing unfolds, let us know in the comments what you are most excited about, how you think autonomous vehicles might most reshape society, because there really are so many implications, whether it's public infrastructure, energy, finance, shopping. I'm so interested to see how this technology finally comes into play. All right. On that note, thank you again so much for joining me. I'll see you next time and we'll see you on the road. <laughs>